This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. You're at 40 today. We're at 40, huh? Ooh. Wow. Podcast can officially start going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> See if we can get uh, 40 by you 2 as our intro music this week. I can put it in. I mean... Yeah, what are the chances they're going to listen? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we won't get sued, probably. It'll be okay. Hello, Sean. Hi, Derek. How's it going this week? Well, now that I'm back to full time, Raphael decided to commemorate that occasion by assigning half of the unassigned pull requests to me. And when I agreed to this, I thought he meant like from the last couple of weeks. But no, he actually meant like unassigned opened in all time. So I've got 200 and some odd pull requests I'm going through. I happen to be Googling about the various... (laughs) The various no cash headers that you can set on a response. You can say like no cash, no store, max age equals zero, must revalidate, like a whole bunch of the headers that you can set. And to me, they seem redundant. And to what a lot of what I was reading on the internet, like several of them are kind of redundant. And so I was like, I had this pull request on this client app I was doing and I removed, I think it was no store because no cash and max age zero was already set and private was already set. So I was like, I don't think you need no store as well. And basically what I was doing is I was trying to fall back to whatever the default rail sets for all of the dynamic content you generate, right? Yep. And I was like, I don't want to have this before action that sets this no store thing. And somebody said that that having no store there prevented the back button from serving a stale request, a, sta- a stale response or whatever. So it makes it so the back button always refreshes. Okay. I don't know if that's actually specified anywhere, but I did confirm that in several posts dating from as far back as like 2008 up to like 2015, people say that doing this in various browsers has this effect. So I was like, well, let me see. Did if... you try it? I was like, oh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me. So I was like, let me see if Rails Rails, you know, GitHub Rails Rails has any issues about this. So I searched for it. And the reason why I, this story came up now was it was a kind of an old issue and then i saw like in the last five or six days like assigned to sean griffin i was like i know that guy and i know he probably has no idea what to do about this so that'll be good (laughs) well that's the thing that sucks about a lot of the really old ones too is it's not just it's it it, on none of these it's a binary just like oh i'm gonna merge this or oh i'm gonna close i mean sometimes it is just oh i'm gonna close this but even if it's an easy decision to merge it right it has merge conflicts and if the thing is good to merge other than fixing some merge conflicts and there's been no activity on it for let's say more than two weeks i'm not gonna ping the person and be like hey can you rebase this because by the time that they get around to rebasing it and then ping me that they rebased it and then when i get around to seeing their ping there'll be another merge conflict exactly at at the very least i'm having to manually merge all of these but a lot of them, there's just so much time to uh, get the context on the uh, just to decide whether this is even a good fix or not. And then a lot of them actually do just need more work. 
and depending on the scope of it, right, if it's just, oh, this is missing some tests or there's some style issues or this belongs in a different file or something like that, like, and it's and it's been inactive for months, I don't really want to close it or, or mark it as stale or something when it has feed, when it needs feedback. So on a lot of them, I'm also spending the time to go and actually finish the pull requests. And it just, it's very slow getting through these, slower than I would hope. Good luck. Thanks. It'll be good to get rid of the backlog, though. I want to pile some more stuff on your plate. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I have a pl- I have some problems with Active Record. I'm probably your guy then, and it's API. Okay, so you seem like my guy. So I don't think I was talking about this in the in Thoughtbots Ruby chat room and Slack. In my years of experience with Rails, I don't think there's a single commonly a, a single more commonly used, more screwed up API. <laughs> Like people, as in people get it wrong, then updating an existing record. Okay. Because there are so many different ways that you can do it. Yes. Right. So you can call like right now in Rails, you can call update. You can call update attributes, which those, those are the two, same thing. Those are the same thing, but you wouldn't necessarily know that. Right. right. Um, you can call update attribute. You yep. can call update column. Yep. You can call update columns. Can we just like group the singular and the plural versions together? <laughs> but you can't I agree. There, there's no reason to have the singular versions anymore. Right. But well, update attribute and update attributes are very different. That should not be the case. Update attribute does not perform validations. Hold on, I'm checking this. I'm almost positive the definition of the like literally the the body of update attribute is just calling update attributes. Update attribute singular does not call <laughs> validations it does everything else i think it results in a save fault save validate false i'm just going by the documentation why the f- okay <laughs> yep no you're right why and so the documentation says it's useful for like setting boolean flags like saying you know i don't know activated true right but the problem i repeatedly see on a lot of projects and it's understandable why people make this because i have a hard time keeping it straight in my head is they call update attribute because they only want to update a single attribute. So they're just, instead of passing like a hash of attributes, they're just passing two arguments, which is the name of the attribute they want to change. And then the value they want to set it to. So the situation I found myself in was like, there was one string of calls in an application that ended up calling update attribute like five times. (laughs) And this is going to be five round trips to the database. Right. Right. So I was like, okay, well what I want then I guess is update attributes. And then I was like, oh, that's just update. And then I looked at the documentation. And I was like, oh, no, that one skips validation. And so I had to sit there and think, like, I've got this legacy code that doesn't have great tests around it. They were previously calling update attribute five times. Were they doing that because they consciously wanted to avoid calling validations? Or did they just get the API wrong? And my Or guess, did they actually want to do five round trips to the database? <laughs> right. I'm pretty certain, given the context, they didn't want to do five round trips to the database. It just happened right. that way. Like there were two in one method and then two more in the next method that gets called and then another one somewhere else. So basically, I boiled those all down to change the object, right? Mutate the object in memory, call save, validate false to skip the validations. Yeah. Thinking like, at the very least, I have kept compatibility with any bugs that were there. <laughs> previously right right? so if this was done as a conscious decision then great if not then you know i haven't fixed anything but i also haven't hurt anything right so that was like the first problem was like okay you can very like you were confused as well that update attribute doesn't call validations right yep um so there's this there's this article and we'll link to it in the show notes that is like a matrix of the different ways you can write attributes and set them and update them in the database 
and the side effects that those have, like whether or not it does an immediate write to the database, whether or not validations are called, whether or not callbacks are called, whether or not updated at gets set, whether or not it bothers checking to see if the thing, if the record is read only, <laughs> those types of things. Yes. So like, I just feel like it's an example of one of those APIs that kind of grew out of like somebody was like, oh, I want to do this. And people were like, yeah, okay, that seems reasonable. And then, like, but if you had to sit down and write an API for doing this, there's, you'd be like, there's no way you'd end up here. Well, I think a big issue with it and the reason that it ends up, like, I think given the state of everything else, I think this is not the problem. It's an indicator of the actual problem. But I don't necessarily think that the API for saving something is the problem. It's always going to be that messy because of the amount of implicit behavior we have to do all kinds of things that you don't always want to do. Right. That's why, like, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I guess if I had to do this today and I, I, and it was a given that we needed validations, callbacks, updated at checks, like, we needed all to keep all this stuff, I think the only way I would have to opt out of that stuff is to call save with options, like we do today with save, validate, false, right? So you could say save, validate, false, callbacks, false, whatever. Or we had a different object, which was responsible for doing the actual persisting to the database and the default object that you could get like as a method on application control or something would be the thing that has all of that behavior and then if you didn't want all of that behavior you just compose only a few pieces of it that's crazy talk it is crazy talk <laughs> now yeah that's that's good the other the other time this bit me so i forgot there's one more thing that bit me about the update at, about update the update api is that update attribute despite its name can update several attributes <laughs> if you if it runs callbacks if and because it's go if you well not because it runs callbacks i mean yes because it runs callbacks and then also because it's going through the setter because it's and because any mutations to the object that were in place before you called update attribute are right. also going to get written to the database well that's true of all of these i think i think that's true i uh update column it's not true of i'm oh because that's going to go through update all right that's exactly what it does um so it's one of those things where, like, this chart doesn't actually have this as a column, but it could, right? Also saves mutations. And that would be another axis in which these differ. And I, I think that has surprised me in the past where I've been like, oh, I didn't expect that to get written. And granted, the code wasn't the greatest and it. You know, probably I probably could have been a lot more clear and only only either mutated what I wanted to do and then call save or done or used update attribute or update attributes appropriately. Right. But um, I'll be glad. I think it gets a little better when update attributes goes away and there's just update, which I think, is that happening in Rails 5? Is attributes, update attributes gone officially? No, I don't think we've ever said that we were getting rid of them. Because <sighs> update was the thing that came in in Rails 4, right? That is that is an alias for update attributes. Um, let's see. That method was added, yeah, 2013. So, yeah, that would have been around Rails 4. Right. So I thought I was hoping that update attributes would go away in Rails 5 and then that would be like you'd be left with update update column which pretty clearly to me says like you're you're doing this on the database and then update attribute which would be the weird thing that does everything except validations and also if you happen to be have mutated the object those are also going to get written. See and that's part of why if it were up to me I would get rid of the majority of these methods. Like I would, I, if it were up to me, I would get rid of update and update attributes and update attribute singular in its entirety. Right, and you would just have save. And yeah, you just have save. Right, and that makes it a little bit less surprising that when you do attributes equals and then call save on it, makes it a little less surprising that other changes that were already there also get persisted. And right. If you don't want to have validations, 
you don't run validations. Right, you pass validate false. And I would also uh, get rid of update column, the singular version, because if you look at the implementation, it just calls update columns for you. And I'm 99% certain that if you were to just write update columns with a hash, it would actually be fewer characters. <laughs> right. So update column, I haven't looked at the documentation. I assume it takes it takes two arguments, just like update yeah, attribute name does. And value. Right. And update columns takes a hash. And then update column does what I had assumed and am surprised that update attribute doesn't do. Update column just calls update columns creating a hash with a single with a single pair. Right. So anyway, that was like I and it's just so cool. it's one of those things that like we we were chatting about this and we were like, is this the most is this the feature that the feature of Rails or Active Record that people get wrong the most? And other people thought like, oh well I actually have more problems with accepts nested attributes for, but like you cannot use it. You can write an entire Rails app and never use accepts nested attributes for. You're going to call right. update in one of its forms all the time, basically. I would say callbacks are the one that people get wrong the most. What do you mean by that? Like just using them? Just using them. But that's the thing. <laughs> you, like you may think, oh, I can build my entire app and never use callbacks. No, you can't. No. Val- if you, you use validations, says- you're using callbacks. Um. No, validations are not run as a callback. That makes but... sense, actually, because, yeah, that does make sense because there's update attributes, skips validations, but not callbacks. So it can't be callbacks, right? Um, but things like um, updating um, associations, uh, foreign keys and dependent and stuff like that. Oh, right, um, right. Things like touch true. Right. Basically, anything related to associations gets, Im- uh, gets implemented as a callback. And then, like, it's a common to do, like, before validate is a pretty common thing to, like, ensure something's in the proper, like, you want to downcase an email or something like that. Right. Which, like, I still don't understand why you wouldn't just overwrite the accessor or the writer. Didn't you tell us not to do that? Well, well, I was actually more referring to overwriting the reader. Overwriting the writer? No, that's especially if you're just doing something like calling dot downcase. I guess the main difference is if it if it if it matters whether or not dirty tr- uh, checking picks up like that the original value that was assigned was uppercased because if you if you were to do like def email equals uh, super argument dot downcase then dirty checking would always be comparing to the downcased version it would have never seen the upca- the uppercase version mm-hmm. so as long as you're fine with that right I can't in in the particular case of emails I can't think of like what you're saying by calling downcase is like. Whether or not it's up, uppercase or lowercase, they're equivalent. I just want to store it in lowercase so I don't, I don't have to do a case-insensitive match, right. basically. And then if you do care about that with the attributes API, it would be pretty trivial to... Um, I kind of want to add like a, a map method to types. So that way, like if you just want to type the downcase, like this, if you wanted the string type that downcases it, you do like type string dot map ampersand colon downcase. Hmm. Yeah, do that. <laughs> I think the only the only question I would have is like which of the typecasting methods would that apply to, or right. would I expect that to apply to? And then would I expect to have a contra map as well? And if I would expect to have a contra map, would I be willing to? Will I, would I be able to get anybody else to agree on the Rails team anyway to agree that contra map is in fact the correct name for the inverse of map? Contra map or the converse of map? Sorry, it sounds really cool. So, like, if you had um, a library, for example, that was, like, responsible for encoding and decoding, and you had a codec type, which was responsible for both encoding and decoding, and if uh, calling dot .map on it would change the behavior of the decoder half of it, contra map would change the um, behavior of the encoder. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I would enjoy calling contra map on something. That's all I'm saying. It would remind me of 
the Konami code and all sorts of goodness. Yes. That's that's the end of my rant on update, I believe. That's all I've got for today is that um like I and I can't it's one of those things that I like you can't you I can't. You see you to. can't change it and at the same time you can't blame the people that make the mistake because you're like, "Yep, that's understandable." Yeah, I mean, I can say calling it five times in a trend in one action is probably that that's a programmer error like that should stand out to you as something that's five database round trips yeah uh but the validations thing is definitely sneaky yeah but i also like a world where save is the only method for persistence yeah definitely maybe with a handful of exceptions like i think well create's an odd one create would make more sense to me if it could take an array like create hmm. without a bang specifically because it, it, it you mean always the class, the class method create yes like user dot create yes because hmm. it always and if you don't have a bang right it always has to return something and there's and you know there i'm almost positive in just about every app you can find somewhere where they're calling dot create and not checking if the returned record was persisted right and so then like it would silently fail to create the thing because the the contract of create i mean yes the contract of create is it's always going to return you a like if it's user dot create it's always going to return you a user Correct. um or, or raise an exception if something weird happened, I guess. But um, obviously. Well, no, it won't raise an exception. Create bang would raise an exception. Well, it could raise an exception if you did something absolutely insane. Like, I don't know, not database related, right? Um, but the but it's slightly different in that you may get back a persisted con, a persisted user or you may get back an unpersisted user that has validations er- validation errors. Right. Because if it, if it failed to save, there's not a thing we can we can do to represent that it failed to save. Right. Technically, those are those are two of the same types, I guess you would say. But like in reality, you're treating those two things entirely differently in your application. Right. But you don't get any indication based on the type that came back. Well, normally, you know. So what right? would what would it taking an array do for you? Um, batch insert. Okay. So doing a single query to create multiple records, which is I think a big hole in our API that I've been meaning to go fill for a while. But then you would still be in a situation where then you've then to check the result of all of those, you have to map over the array to check. Well, yes and no. No, because we would uh, run that operation in, in a transaction. Well, well, no, we wouldn't even need to run it in a transaction. It's a single query. If uh, any right. of them failed to save, they all failed to save. OK. I mean, really, what we need is a result type here. Yeah. Yep. Um, and also separating out like client side validation from database level validation where a database level validation is this like because unique indexes are the are the only one where it's like you can't actually validate this ahead of time everything else it's the sort of thing where the database validation would be there to verify integrity and you don't necessarily ever need to handle it other you like other than treating it the same as your database being completely down um as in like you return a 500 or something non-recoverable except except unique index failures are the are that one case where it's like maybe you really do care about that and maybe it is actually recoverable Anyway, point being, uh, hang on, wait. Explain, explain to me what you mean. Like, so unique indexes is the the only validation for which you database could, level database level validation for which you could have like you can have an active record validation that says uniqueness of, and you could have the equivalent database constraint, and they can disagree, right? And that's because of concurrency and all that craziness. I mean, technically, um, all of them can disagree because of concurrency, but. Right. Well, null oh, no. false is not going to disagree. Like it's either null or it's not. It has nothing to do with true the concurrency. Yeah. That's true. And and, actually, and you can yeah, write right. you can write all sorts of custom constraints that probably would have the same thing, right? But barring those. Anyway, right. And so in my mind, 
application-facing validations don't belong on the model at all because ultimately creating a model isn't a function that returns a model or that takes attributes and returns a model. It's a function that takes attributes and either returns a model or a series of errors. Right. But that's not what it does today. It always returns yeah. a model, right? Right. Yeah. In some other in some other ORMs. That's we talked a little bit about this in our episode. Right from memory, I'm going to say it's 11. Hopefully I'm right about that one. Uh, we'll link it in the show notes. We talked about it in the... We were talking about form objects. And we said, like, we'd both kind of love to experiment with the idea of, like, not doing validations, not doing active record validations on active record objects. And instead having form objects for everything that added the validations you needed. And then letting the database handle the database integrity type stuff. Right. And then, and then theoretically, right, you should never be passing data that would violate database integrity. So you can treat da- database integrity failure as an unrecoverable, should never happen kind of error. Same as the database being down or any generic database th- operation did not work kind of error. But then uniqueness kind of just muddles all of that up. I guess. I mean, the adapters could conceivably inspect the error message they're getting back from the database and say that this is a unique this is a uniqueness i'm not saying it's impossible i'm just saying that that sort of ideological argument stops working because of uniqueness well i mean it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily stop working like the the times where i don't know maybe it's just i'm not working on big enough apps like the times where these things rear their heads are like double clicks and double submits right things like that and those cases like weird stuff happens right and you can prevent you can try and prevent double submits by using disable i guess you're not gonna have to do that didn't didn't somebody do that for us we had we talked about that yep. right that's yep. now going to be default so like double submits go away like it's kind of an edge you can kind of relegate it to edge cases i think right and hope, no and, and most of the time that you would have a unique uh, a uniqueness validation or a unique constraint in the database i would say that let's say 75 percent of those aren't something the user could recover from anyway because they're not things that the user has control over. They're things like uh, making sure like making sure a has one is actually a has one, but you're doing it implicitly under the hood or stuff like that. Yeah. And like I think for most apps, the only t- place where it would be a user recoverable error is sign up. And then I think, I mean, definitely you still need the unique constraint in the database, but I think at that point then the Rails-style uniqueness validation is sufficient. And if two users really do try and sign up with the exact same email at the exact same time and one of them sees an error instead of, uh, like, a 500 instead of a form error, right. that's your one in a billion. Like, so, so what? Right, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I definitely think most uniqueness validations, and, it, and it's hard, actually, when you start adding the uniqueness validations because then you're like, it, when one of those comes up, you're like, oh, well, this didn't get displayed because the field that the error is on isn't actually in the form. So what happens is the the form just re-renders, right? <laughs> right. Well, we, there we do shit need to you do a do better job of, uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, that's sort of right. That's why the, the, the old Rails style of error still exists, even though nobody uses it, but where you have all of the errors at the top instead of the errors on the inputs individually. Right, yeah, I generally will do, like, I'll read off, I'll read off base, or something like that. Right, but if it's, on, if it's on a field, then right. base wouldn't get populated. Does that thing still exist? The one that did like the, the error message formatting in a list? I don't think it does anymore. I think they got it rid was of that. Never, it was never a thing in Rails. It's just a thing the scaffold generates. Okay, all right. And yes, it still exists. Um, if you use the scaffold, you would see that, I guess. Anyway, I mean, none, none of this is, a- is immediately actionable. It's just this idea. I mean, this is just hearkening back to the whole issue with update. I think we just have too many things muddled together. Uh, and it makes it really, really hard to actually reason about what any of it is doing. Yeah, and it's one of those things where Rails is at the age and at the size and at the usage amount 
like that ship has sailed and it's not <laughs> it's not coming back these update update methods are going to exist and some of them might change like i could conceivably see update column becoming defined in terms of update columns at some point in a major change that's a breaking change or whatever like that's a relatively minor breaking change i just move them all into a gem right yeah i mean that actually seems to be a reasonable thing that has been happening a lot with rails is like protected attributes got moved out to a gem responders got moved out to a gem all this stuff that people wanted to deprecate got moved out into gems right yeah and that's the sort of thing right is that i can deprecate it kind of and then if somebody you know i mean that one i would probably just maintain that gem till the end of time and not actually deprecate it but um i'm, I'm, I'm more thinking of like what's the equivalent of me making a breaking change but having it only affect newly generated apps and i think that's the the closest that would be where i can like remove it from rails except for existing apps Right, and that like some gems do this by generating a configuration. So like when right. you when you run your new configuration, you get you op you get opted in automatically to all of these breaking changes. What otherwise would have been breaking changes. Right, and it's like I'm not gonna have config dot has these methods equals true. <laughs> right, <laughs> config dot can update single column true. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean like. Then it, then it, it becomes a question, right? So does update columns? I mean, if we go through, if I go through them, I guess update column or is it update columns? Which one calls update all under the hood? It is update columns, yeah. So maybe update columns. That's a reason to stick around. Um, but like, I think that's the only one. I would ra- I would much then rather get rid of update column, update attributes, bang, update bang, update attributes, update uh, without a bang, update, uh, and update attribute singular. All of those in favor of attributes equals and calling save and if you do not want to run validations passing validate false to save right and that the only downside to that i can see other than you know it breaks people's apps unless they put in these gems or something like that would be that you can no longer do a like an update in a controller in a single step right you got to find your user which you always had to do and then you've got to do user.attributes equals and assign the attributes then call save rather than update and pass a hash yep seems fine don't think that's that big of a deal especially because like you said right when your controller becomes more than one line long which most are there's a lot of other implicit behavior that that comes as a result of that being one line and while it may like look oh my god i've made this so much worse in the the scaffold style controller controllers never controller actions rarely remain that short for very long right okay so I should expect a pull request that has like uh, active record, uh, a new gem that's like active record deprecated persistence. I probably wouldn't put deprecated in the name because I wouldn't. I'm I, putting deprecated in the name implies that uh, we're gonna get we're gonna stop supporting it. Well, active record deprecated finders, right? Which we dropped support for in Rails five. Oh, all right. But I would definitely put it in a gem like yeah, active record, active record for persistence or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to think about it some more and bring it up with some other folks and see what they think. And then maybe Rails 5 would be the version to do that. Yeah. It's hyper, let's, let's shovel it all into Rails 5 because you're not going to get another shot for another year and a half. Yep. So <laughs> pretty much as we talked about in our last episode with Yehuda. Yeah. So um, you're on you're on full time on Rails now? Yes. Does that mean you're full time with uh, Shopify now? Yes. Congratulations. How's that going? Um, Good ish i've been trying to get the test suite to run uh it fails a bunch and then seg faults seg faults uh, yes 
which apparently that one was not my fault because CI yeah, was also seg faulting, but apparently that's now been fixed and it's still seg faulting and failing for me. And it takes like over four hours, which sucks because I'm trying, I'm hoping to contribute to helping get us um, onto Rails 5, specifically by removing our uses of uh, Adder Accessible. But I figure the way to do that is to uh, remove a call to Adder Accessible and run the test suite. This has proved to be a greater challenge than I expected it to be. Um, so yeah, that's been, <laughs> and then I get frustrated and just go work on these pull requests. Right. So that is, so how is your job going to work at Shopify? Cause you are full time on rails, but clearly you're trying to get the Shopify test suite to run. Is that kind of like you need to get the shop, you need to get Shopify running to see how the changes that you're going to be working on for both rails and for Shopify, like on rails for Shopify. Well, I mean, that's part of the, yeah, I mean, that's part of the benefit for them, right, is that I'm able to do things like help get them on master. And I'm, I benefit greatly from them being on master because it gives me another vector of information for performance changes and bug fixes and stuff like that. Uh, and like even, even yesterday I got pinged on an issue where something wasn't working as, as, they, as expected. Um, I mean, it was, it was using the attributes API in Rails 4.2, so technically like whatever it's it may not work as expected because it's it's private api in 4.2 but um it was for a thing that i was almost positive wasn't that way and you know i had i'm like can we just i, I would really lo- it would be really really awesome if we could just check this on, against master <laughs> but um we can't right now because we are not we have not finished migrating to rails 5 and i would like us to migrate to rails 5 in a short enough span of time that like it's within striking distance of rail of uh rails 5 being released so that way when we've migrated to rails 5 we've actually migrated to master and we can just start tracking master uh like perpetually and run ci against master on a nightly basis or something and have it be uh you flip a switch if you want to try it, it, you know and then if this guy's doing this thing i'm like can you see how that works on master they just flip a switch and run the test and being at a place where you're going to be like you're going to be there for a while, so you can set up infrastructure like that, and you can set up infrastructure to run performance tests. You can set up all this different stuff to test all of the types of things that you're working on, right. and have time to actually reap the rewards from that. So that's pretty cool. Exactly, and and it's the same sort of situation I had in in the past at Thoughtbot for a while as well, where I'm spending you know I spend a good chunk of my time just in Slack helping other developers with issues, which we have a lot of junior developers, so. There's a lot more of those, mm-hmm. but you know, being available to help people out, which I, I love doing, like just spending an hour helping somebody else solve a problem. Right. And they're lucky to have access to the person who has written a good chunk of the, of active record at this point <laughs> and, certain, yes. and certainly has seen just about every corner of it. So that's cool. I still, yeah. I still definitely use the fact that you hang out in our Slack for, uh, for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is fine. It's good. <laughs> No, it's like uh, I actually really do like it when people, you know, give me more visibility into what's happening with everybody else using Rails. As long as it's done in a context where, like, sorry, tough luck is an acceptable answer <laughs> for me to give. Like, I, I always really do love having those kinds of conversations and seeing what problems people are having, even if it is just something that might not be immediately actionable, like like the update thing. Right. Well. Wow. We just determined how it's going to be immediately actionable. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, you write, not that, always that, you write that gem anyway, and then I'll write another gem. If it doesn't, if it doesn't get pushed into Rails anyway, I'll get. A, I'll write another gem whose sole job it is is to remove those methods. Yeah, it just calls undef method. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then you can layer those two gems together, and you know, and then well, I'll, I'll wait, secretly sneak it into the default gem file. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, 
What else? Anything else? Oh, 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 hold on. No, no, okay. you were right. You called it. Wait, say it again. You were right, Derek. Okay, what did I call? Um, so we switched over to Basecamp 3 recently, and uh, Rails 5 was added to the Basecamp 3 calendar for December. Ah. <laughs> and in the episode that is about to go out as of this recording, uh, in that you said, and you say August, I say Christmas. So you were right, Derek. <laughs> it's just like a, tra- it's a track record of major Rails releases. It takes, it's about six months after they say they want to get the betas out that they come well, out. Well, usually... Like for four two, we released like actual four two in December, but we had a very long beta and RC cycle that lasted, I think, two or three months. Right, that'd be fine. <laughs> I'm not like it's it's unfortunate. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Like every time I have to write or as a string in a inside where I'm like, ah oh, man, like really like to just be able to use or. Yeah, yep. so it'd be it, oh. it's unfortunate that that it, that it happened like that, and it would be cool to release more often and smaller releases but yeah it's a discussion i i've got i've got just so many i <laughs> things I'm, I'm i'm behind on a lot of things and i'm just trying to get caught up on all of the things mm-hmm. um and that is and having that discussion is definitely i guess i'm not behind on that because i did say i was going to wait till after we release five to really start having that discussion so yeah i mean i think i think there's a thesis behind like the various things that could have been immediately helpful to people on 4x that there was no reason not to not to release on 4x other than what you get all the other stuff in master right so yeah it's kind of it just seems like marketing and it's kind of unfortunate at this point but well and you know what i think that might still be fine because i feel like in base camp's mind like the big features are action cable and turbo links 5 Mm-hmm. Actually, and both of, since both of those were developed at Basecamp, like the rest of the framework being on a shorter release cycle might not be that big of an issue. Sure, go for it. Yeah, we'll see. All right, show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm/slash forty. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet to us at underscore bikeshed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave feedback on the comments on the website. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. Bring, bring.